0: In the words of my mouth, in the meditation of all of our hearts, be always acceptable in your sight, O oh Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. When was the last time you were in a place you weren't supposed to be? I mean, let's be honest, it's happened before, hasn't it? There's been a time somewhere along the way where you um, you went past the velvet rope at the art museum, even though you know you weren't supposed to be past the velvet rope, or, or maybe... Um, You snuck into the closed reptile exhibit at the zoo, even though there was a sign up there that said reptile exhibit's closed, and you went on past it anyway. At at the very least, you snuck past the nurse at the station to visit a friend in the ICU one time or another. I know you're not a habitual lawbreaker. It's not like you would do this stuff all the time, but there are some times when the keep out sign just doesn't apply to you, doesn't it? I mean, there are times, at least maybe once or twice. Here's one for you, though. If, it, if you thought you could get away with it, if you thought you could, you could attempt this and you would actually get away with it, would you try to sneak into the White House? I mean, would you, would you think you'd give it a go if you thought, you know, hey, I, I bet I could pull this off? Because November 24, 2009, a couple actually did this. It was a state dinner being held at, at the White House, and uh, Tariq and Michelle Salahi um, dressed up uh, for the evening. Uh, drove to the parking lot, the White House parking lot, parked the car, somehow got past Uniform Secret Service, who was there in the parking lot, and their names weren't on the list, their car wasn't on the list, somehow they still managed to park their car. They walked to the White House, got past the, the, the Secret Service agent that had the guest list, and their name wasn't on the guest list, got past that Secret Service agent, managed to get all the way next to the president, and had White House photographers... Take pictures of them with the president and the vice president. A couple hours later, got home, and this woman posted on her Facebook page, um, so honored to be invited to the first state dinner. Only she wasn't invited. She showed up unannounced. I mean, just showed up and and walked right in. Maybe you remember this. Uh, They even managed to parlay their whole 15 minutes of fame into a a reality show on cable TV. These people did you know... It kind of got me a little bit curious. Is it really easy just to wear a tuxedo and show up and get into the White House? Is it really just that easy? Perhaps it is, or at least it was that night. But I was a little unsettled by it as well, right? I mean, you can't really just get into places that you're not supposed to be just because you wear the right kind of clothes. That certainly shouldn't be the only requisite for showing up and getting in. It made me worry about the whole security of the country and the world. I mean... Are we really in that bad of shape? But, but there's even something more unsettling about this. And that is that people would show up at places they're not supposed to be. I mean, it, it breaks all social convention, doesn't it? You weren't invited to the party, so um, yeah, don't come. You know? you, you, we, we have to have that. Our, our society depends upon these social barriers. You only come to those events that you're invited to come to. Suppose, for just a moment, that you're throwing a dinner party. Eight or ten of your closest friends, you set the table, you know, you pour the wine, you get the candles lit, you're all ready, and then and then your neighbors knock on the door. And they say, you know, hey, we saw the cars aren't pulling up, and so we just thought we would show up and stop it. No, you you can't do that. That's that's unacceptable. That's not the way these things are supposed to work. We invented invitations. Not just to tell people who is invited. But to remind people who aren't invited that they're not invited. Did you get an invitation? No. So you're not invited, which means you shouldn't come. You remember maybe when you were a little child, um, your your mother maybe said to you, you can have a birthday party, and so you can invite 8 or 10 or 12 of your friends. And so you sat down and you wrote a list, right? Oh, Steve, he's my best friend, or whoever, Stacy, she's my best friend. And you kind of went through, oh, and then there's my my next best friend, my second best, and and maybe my third best. And then, you know, i got to invite Buster. That kid can really play sports, and we need him here. And so you invite, you know, the people that you think of, and you're you're going down through the list, and you get down to your last one. And then you're sitting there thinking, now, I can invite this person, or this person. You know, Mom, can I have another? No, no, no more. Okay, so you get down to the end of your list, and you have to make a decision. Who's in, and Who's out? And eventually you realize that you can categorize people in one of three ways. People who must be invited. People who might be invited. And the people that there's no way in the world you're going to invite. You know, I mean, you have that list. Even as a small child. Must be. Might be. No way. Never. Not going to invite this person. It was the same way on the playground when you played kickball. Do you remember this whole kickball thing? You, You know, the... There'd be this, oh, everybody wants to play kickball, and there's a ball. And, and, and then all of a sudden, two kids, always the two biggest kids, right? They're the captains, and they get out, oh, we're going to pick teams. And so the two captains get out in front. You remember this thing, don't you? And I want this person, and I want this person. and that. You do not want to be picked last, right? You, you, this, this is a place you don't want to be. You don't want to be the, the person that the other team is stuck with. And I remember this. I, mean, I remember as a kid, you know, this, there'd be this one scrawny little non-athletic kid left and, and the person, the captain who picked next to last would laugh at the other captain and say, looks like you're stuck with Joe. Not me, another Joe, right? And, and here, you're stuck with him. And, and, and then that's the way the teams would end up. The whole process of elimination. Those that you wanted, those that you're willing to take, Those you would never pick. We learn very early in life how to evaluate the worth of people. We learn it on the playground. We learn it as we make out our invitations to our little birthday parties. We learn it in a million other ways. How to evaluate the worth of people. And in Matthew's Gospel, we hear this story. It is a surprising story. It's a shocking story, but for none of the reasons that we normally think of. You know, we, we have this story of these three wise men, the text says. These three. The, the word in, in uh, Matthew's Greek is magi. Magoi, actually. Magi, these, these magi, and actually three is, is kind of a... There's actually three in the text. We know that there's more than one. They're plural, magi, instead of a... Book. Magios, you know, one of them. But, but there are, there's, there's not necessarily three. I mean, there could be 30 perhaps. We call them three because it's in the song. And if it's in the song, it must be right. Uh, and, and because they have three gifts, right? I remember, gold and frankincense and myrrh. But what do you know about these Magi fellows? I mean, have you ever heard of these guys before? Magi um, were, were those who were thought to be sorcerers. They're ones who could cast spells. The word magic comes from the same root. These magicians who could cast spells and and do wizardry and and uh, they could interpret dreams. They were they were thought to be these sort of these uh, powerful dark magicians. These um, secretive uh, possessors of dark arts. They were astrologers. They would read the the stars and 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 would determine fortunes of nations and world events by reading the stars. They were like the people who write the horoscopes in the back of the newspaper. Do they still write horoscopes in the back of the newspaper? I don't know. But they used to write horoscopes in the back of the newspaper. And another thing about them is that they were from the east, perhaps Persia, but maybe Babylon. They could have been from what is today modern day Iraq. Which would be really interesting, because in the year 587, the Babylonians overran the nation of Judah, destroyed the temple in Jerusalem, and they were the hated enemies of Israelites. And yet, here come these three magi, perhaps from Babylon, these sorcerers, these, these dark magicians, these readers of the stars. Now, now, here's where things get really interesting, because do you know that in the Bible, these sorts of practices were forbidden? Let me read to you a passage from uh, Leviticus 19. You shall not interpret omens or tell fortunes. A little bit more um, direct in Deuteronomy chapter 18. There shall not be found among you anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens. Or a sorcerer. Or a charmer. Or a median. Or a wizard. Or a necromancer. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord. Imagine. Showing up at Jesus' home, well, the, the the home where he was lodged, they are exactly the kind of people that were forbidden. In Isaiah chapter 47, uh, the prophet is talking about how, how the people have listened to... Um, to all the fortune tellers and have failed to listen to God, he says, You have wearied with your many counsels, God. Let them stand forth and save you, those who divide the heavens, who gaze at the stars, who at new moons made known what shall come to you. He's making fun of the, of the, the fortune tellers and the star gazers. Do they see what's happening now? All right, so Joe, what's your point? I'm glad you asked. I knew you were waiting there for just for me to ask that question. It's, listen, these people who show up at Jesus' birth to worship Him, to pay homage to Him, to bring gifts to Him. They're all the wrong kinds of people. They're not just Gentiles. That is That is, they're not just non-Israelites. That's problematic enough. They're pagans. They're fortune tellers. They're horoscope writers. They're wizards. <laughs> And it leads me to another point. How do they know to show up? Oh, you say it's really easy. I I know the answer to this one. I was paying attention when you read the gospel lesson. I know. They showed up because they saw his star. So let me get this right. So so God condemns in the Old Testament the use of stargazing as a means of, of fortune telling. And yet these guys come under exactly those circumstances. In the words of Pete Hogwallock, that just don't make no sense. You ever watch um, uh, Oh, Brother Mark? That just don't make no sense. I thought it was a really great movie. Anyway, Coen Brothers, fantastic. Um, How is it that God is bringing these people, uh, these people who are all the wrong sorts of people? They're not the kind that should show up. They're coming to the right party with the wrong invitation. They're not even dressed properly. I mean, this... This is a tuxedo affair, and they're showing up in all the wrong sort of stuff. Today is a celebration in the church known as the Epiphany of Our Lord. The longer title is the Revelation of Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ as a Savior to the Gentiles. But the more Epiphany of the Lord, a better title. Um, Epiphany means to unveil or to disclose or to reveal And so there are a number of epiphanies in this story, which is why it's appointed. But first of all, the star is an obvious epiphany, right? That that God has revealed to these men something that He's doing in Israel. And get this. He does it in a way that's consistent with their understanding of spirituality. Not with the way that God um, necessarily sanctions, approves, or wants for His people, but in a way works for them I mean what a condescending act What a and I mean that in the best sort of way what a gentle and gracious way to lead people uh, secondly they're Gentiles God's plan is bigger than Israel it's a plan for the whole world but also this that God is inviting people even if they're the, all the wrong kind of people I think that's the big epiphany here we live in a divided world, a bifurcated world. We're, we, we know you know, if you're in or out for all sorts of things. We value the worth of people based upon all sorts of things. And I know you say, not me, but of course not you. I'm talking about other people. There are a lot of people in our world that value human beings on all the wrong criteria. We see God like that too. Like He's some celestial kickball captain. Who picks people only upon the way that they should be chosen. But he doesn't. He takes not just the ones that we're stuck with. He delights in taking the ones that are clumsy and unathletic. To continue that metaphor a little bit. The thing that ought to strike us about this passage is that God calls to himself. He calls to himself people who worship him. And they come from all the wrong backgrounds. You see, if there had been a religious professional at the door that day, when they show up at the home where where Joseph and Mary and and the baby Jesus were, can you imagine what a religious professional would have said? You know, there's a knock on the door, and and they come to the door, and, oh, no, 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 no. Your kind is not welcome here, you know. You want to go and um, go down the street, repent of all that sorcery stuff that you've been doing, uh, get out of those wizard clothes, you know, perhaps shave that beard, I don't know. But you've got to change all, then come back, and we'll receive you. That's what a religious professional would have said. That's what people who do what I do for a living. That's what we would say, you know. Well, no, you're, you're not quite ready yet. I mean, we're better than the Secret Service. We know how to keep people at bay. And I keep them, oh, you know, make sure that you, you're the right... You have to come from the right family. You have to grow up in the right neighborhood. You have to have the right sort of politics. If you've got all those things down right, well, then You're welcome. Only that's not what this text says, is it? This is about the God who welcomes the outsider. Not just welcomes them, he longs for them to come. And so, some epiphanies this morning for us. God loves people not because they deserve it, God loves people not because they deserve it, but because he loves them unconditionally. And a second epiphany. Because God loves people unconditionally, He loves people like you and me. And perhaps just a third one from that. Because God loves people unconditionally, He has loved people like you and me. And He encourages us to do exactly the same. So that we might reveal to the world a God who welcomes everyone. In the name of the Father and the Son